you based on how you feel. I'm judging you according to truth. I'm judging you according to whether it's right or not for you to feel that way. doesn't matter whether you feel that way. Is it right for you to feel that? The standard is God's standard, and we all fall short of that standard. Um, you know, I'm convinced some people don't read their Bibles regularly because you don't want to be exposed if you read the scriptures, the scripture shines light onto your life and you begin to see the sin in your life and you see that you need to change and be transformed into the glory of Christ. Sometimes it's just easier not to read it. We should be reading it regularly, but we don't want right judgment. We want to judge ourselves and others by the way we feel. I feel like I'm okay. I feel like I'm all right. I feel like it's going to be all right with me. Well, you read the Bible and God says, well, no, it's not. I don't want to hear that. I just want to feel how I feel. Are you willing to be judged by God rightly? According to truth. That's what Romans 2 is talking about. That kind of exposure. You know, many times I think we, in church... We're like the uh, older brother in the prodigal son story. You remember that story where two brothers, they decide that, you know, the younger brother decides he wants his inheritance early and goes to dad and says, dad, can you give me what you were going to give me and let me just go off and have my own life. And so dad does. And the younger brother goes off and it says he literally went off to just sin his fill. And um, he spent all the money that God had given him. And he finally comes back home. Because he can't find a good job anywhere. And he said, well, at least dad would hire me as, a, as a, a servant. So I'll go back and I'll work for dad. And when he gets back home, dad welcomes him and has a big party. Now, what does the older brother do? The older brother immediately says, wait, 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 wait. I'm better than him. And you didn't have a party for me. What's up with that? I feel like if anybody deserves a party, I deserve a party. I've stayed home. I've been faithful. I've done the good stuff. And you're giving the party to that sinner. I am better than him. That's us. Not the younger brother, the older brother. We look out at other people and say, I am better than that. And dad says, you both need to get saved. You're both lost. You're both without hope unless God is merciful. The self-righteous sinner is just as much a sinner as the self-indulgent sinner. Many times we look at those who are self-indulged in sin and we think that they are so much worse. And we are so much better. The judgment rightly falls. Well... Look at verses 3 through 5. Do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Think about the older brother. 
the older brother saying, well, I was home. I was patient. I was just doing what I was supposed to do. He said, but, but you weren't thinking that God was being patient with you. God was being tolerant of you. God was being kind to you, and you weren't repenting. You're just sitting in the home thinking, I wouldn't do that. I would be better than that. And we sit around building our own righteousness in our brains, yet we too are under the wrath of God and in need of God's grace. Well, how can you judge yourself scripturally instead of judge yourself according to what you feel? How do, we, how do we judge ourselves according to righteous standards? Well, the standard we have in this passage, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 17, the standard is, it is um, the righteous man by faith that lives. Not the righteous man by his feelings lives. Not the righteous man by his works Lives Not the righteous man who's better than others lives, but the righteous man by faith shall live. And our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone is righteous, and it's Christ who deposits his righteousness in us. We trust his righteousness is sufficient for us. That's how we live. That's the standard so that we have our private times with God, when we have our public times with God, when we stand before God on the day of judgment, the same answer is, I only survive, I only escape, I only enter into heaven by the righteousness of Christ alone. We don't argue that we're better than them or those. We are only here by God's grace. You know, Jesus, one of his sermons, he says, you guys are constantly looking at the speck in other people's eyes when you've got a big log in your own. It's easy to see self-indulgent sin. It's so easy to miss self-righteous sin. And they're both under the wrath of God. He says, do you not see God being so kind with you? You say, well, God's always blessing me. God's being kind with me. Yeah. Do you not see that the kindness of God is to lead you to repentance? You, the self-righteous one. That's the context of this passage. We need to see that's the way God judges. God judges scripturally. Second, I want you to see God judges slowly. He's already kind of hinted at that. Um, Verse 6 through 8. God will render to each person according to his deeds. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, they get wrath and indignation. Now, there are a lot of people who have the philosophy in life that Life is like a big scale. It's kind of like the seesaw. Do we have seesaws anymore? It's not motorized. It's just, you know, the old standard. And, and, and you're teetering on one side or the other. And we kind of have this philosophy that if I put enough good works on one side, the good works on the scale will outweigh the bad works and I'll be okay. But it, then I do some bad things and it goes back. And I hope that when I get to heaven that God's going to see my good works outweigh my bad works, and I'll be okay. And we think, 
if, if we're having any doubts there that our good works outweigh our bad works, we start saying, well, oh, wait, I'm, I'm better than his and hers and his. So we think, because I'm better than somebody else, certainly my good works are outweighing my bad works. Now, it might be verse 6 where we got that philosophy, but that's not what the context is about. Let me share, share it with you again. Verse 6, God's going to render to each person according to his deeds. And we look at that passage like that and we think, that means I need more good deeds than bad deeds. And I will be okay. But that's not what God's saying. That's a quote. If you've got Bibles, it's all caps in your Bible, which is an indication that it's quoted somewhere from another portion of Scripture. Well, where is it quoted from? It comes from Psalm 62. So when I see a quote like that, and especially if the quote seems confusing, go back to the original context and say, well, what's it, what's it saying there? And how does that shed light on where we are? So let's, let's go to Psalm 62 and look at this place that uh, Paul pulls this quote from. Interesting psalm, Psalm 62. And when you go down through Psalm 62 looking for this quote, you find that the quote in Romans 2 verse 6 is the last two lines or last line of Psalm 62. The last line of Psalm 62 says, For you recompense a man according to his work or according to his deeds. Paul translated it, You will render to a man according to his deeds. Well, if it's the last line of a psalm, that means it's the conclusion. It's the summary. It's a short psalm, so let's go back and say, how did he get that conclusion? What led him to that place? Psalm 62, verse 1. Let me just walk you through it real quick. My soul waits in silence for God only. Now, before, just because we don't have much time to, to, to labor here, you might want to circle as we go through this the word only because you're going to see a theme in Psalm 62 that the psalmist is convinced God alone saves. God saves by his grace. God saves by his mercy. We don't merit salvation at all and he's clearly showing us that. Verse 1, my soul waits in silence for God only, not God plus my works or God something else. I'm waiting for God only, for him is my salvation. Verse 2, he only, there it is again, is my rock and my salvation. Verse 5, my soul wait in silence for God only, only God, for my hope is from him, not him plus anything else. Verse 6, he only, again that word, is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. Verse 7. On, on God my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, the, my refuge is in God. And it's supplied there or implied. God only. Verse 8. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. Why? God is a refuge for us. Down at verse 11, once God has spoken, twice I've heard it, that the power belongs to God. And loving kindness is yours, O Lord, for you recompense a man according to his works. Now, what is he saying? Well, there's a contrast here that I skipped over. Let me go back and grab it for you. Verses 3 and 4. 
He says there's some people who are watching him. And here they are. Verse 3. How long will you assail a man that you may murder him, all of you? Like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence. They have counseled only to thrust him down from his high position. They delight in falsehood. They bless with their mouth, but inwardly they curse. All right, who's he talking about? He says there's a group of hypocrites around here. They, they see things outwardly. And they say, oh, bless. You're okay. You know, and then on the inside, they're saying, I hate your guts. I wish you would die. These people who are hypocrites, who are what? Self-righteous. They think they are better than other people. They think their deeds are better than other people. He says, in reality, if I were to describe these people, they would come off looking like a rotten fence. The fence is still standing, but at any moment, it's already started to lean. It's just going to fall over, and they're going to be shown to be worthless. God's going to render according to deeds. We've got the deeds of the hypocrites who look really good. They look better than most. They look better than me. They say that secretly. They have their secret meetings. How much more righteous they are than me. But they're going to fall down. My salvation is in God alone. Only God. Not me plus my works. Only God is my righteousness. Only God is my rock. Only God is my stronghold. Only God is my refuge. Now you begin to see the emphasis. And it's that same emphasis that Paul picks up in Romans chapter 2. When he says, you self-righteous folks think you're better and you're going to be all right because of your self-righteousness. When you don't realize God is being patient with you, drawing you to himself to repentance. But if you don't repent, you're going to be like that rotting fence that's already started to lean. And you're going to be under the judgment of God. And then he gives these verses. That was verse Romans 2, verse 6. He gives these verses 7 and 8 to say, um, If you're persevering and doing good, seeking for glory and honor, immortality and eternal life... And if you're doing bad stuff, you're not obeying the truth, you're not reading your Bibles, you're not into the Word of God, all that stuff. Damnation, this is not salvation by works. This is the evidence. This is the fruit of your life, he's saying. The fruit of your life bears out that you deserve judgment. God's not looking at your deeds to say, did you do enough? Did you merit salvation? Because he's already said in chapter 1, verse 17, the righteous man by faith is the one who lives. So this is not the basis for our salvation. It's the evidence of either salvation or damnation. Is God only? Is Christ only? Is his righteousness only? Is he the rock? Is he the refuge? God's going to look at those two categories. Those who are living by faith and those who think their deeds outweigh the deeds of others. We must be repenting. We must be 
rejecting our feelings that we're okay, we must submit to God's truth. Are we doing that? I mean, there's so much there to think through. Those who are selfishly ambitious do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. Do we submit to the truth? Do we read the truth? Do we submit to our husbands? Do we submit to our employers? Do we submit to the government God has put up? Do um, we honor our parents? Do we sing God's praise? God says, I'm going to judge rightly. And I can look out and begin to see the fruit of people's lives. And I see there's not conformity to God's standards. There's conformity to their standards, which is a self-righteous standard. Good news, God judges slowly. He says, I'm being patient. I'm being tolerant that you might come to repentance. Repenting of the self-righteousness and getting back to the Word of God. God also not only judges scripturally and slowly, but He judges right frankly. Verses 9 through 15, you see this. Um, Not only does He judge a tree by its fruit, but He doesn't use favoritism at all. Verse 9, He says, There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also for the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. Verse 11, it's clear, there is no partiality with God. So don't stop and think, well, I'm okay because I'm a Jew. Well, I'm okay because I'm not a Jew. He says, I'm not judging you based on your nationality. I'm not judging you based on where you were born. I know South Carolina is the promised land, but I'm not going to judge you based, based on that. You know, I'm not going to judge you by your gender. I'm not going to judge you by your sexuality. I'm going to judge you based on whether or not your faith is in Christ and Christ alone. God shows no partiality. Uh, We cannot buy his influence with our good deeds. We're not going to merit something because of our background or works. It's pretty frank judgment. Now, some people say, well, how about the people who've never heard? I don't know why people want to bring up people they've never seen or talked to, but there's people all the time that ask me, say, well, David, what does God do with the people who are born in the bush in Africa and they've never had a Bible? Does God judge them? Does God send them to hell? Well, he answers the question here, verse 12. He says, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So if they don't have the law, they're judged. If they do have the law, they're judged. Then he explains it, verse 13. For it's not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are, are a law to themselves in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. So in other words, God is saying, I'm going to judge people based on the law they have. If they don't have the 66 books of Scripture, if they don't have any Scripture, I will judge them based on what I've intrinsically put within them. I've put within every person a sense of right and wrong. They know a 
form of the law of God even if they don't, if they've never read it in Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy 5. They know when they instinctively when and we've looked at some of the sins in chapter 1. When they commit adultery, when they commit fornication, they try to cover it up. They know they did wrong. When they lie, when they steal, when they don't tell the truth, they know, they instinctively, they know they did wrong. They suppress that truth. Romans 1 verse 18, you remember that. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And then they begin to exchange the truth for a lie, making their own self-righteous standard. God says, so I'll judge them on that basis. I'll judge them on the basis of what they know. And I'll judge you on the basis of what you know. It'll be right frank. It'll be straightforward. It will still be judgment. But no one will stand before me and say, unfair. You're judging me based on something I don't know. God's going to say, oh no, you know. And it's clear, you know, which is why his emphasis is on fruit. It's clear, you know, because I can judge a tree by its fruit. I can see the deeds you did, and the deeds you did prove what I just said. That's why he gave the whole emphasis on judging the tree by its fruit. You look at a person, you see they know when they're doing right. They know when they're doing wrong. You have enough. If you've got the external law of God, or you've got the internal law of God, you have enough to be judged by God. Christ came to render judgment for sinners. Now, I'm a sinner. That's a good thing. Because that puts me in the category for being saved. Christ came to seek and to save the lost, those who are sinners. The self-righteous person has a hard time saying, I'm a sinner. They don't want to go there. But God only came to save the sinners. I didn't come to save the righteous. I didn't come to save those who've made themselves righteous by their works, by their deeds, by their thoughts, by their comparisons. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I came, I'm, I came it's, Paul says in 1 Timothy, he says, it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Matthew 1 says, Jesus Christ is born that he might save his people from their sins. So if you don't see your own sin you're outside of even the category of expecting salvation. Our salvation is expected only in Christ. Christ alone can save us from all of our sins that we have sinned. And you say, well, I, you know, I, I still am struggling in uh, saying I'm a sin because, I mean, just look at my life. You say, judge a tree by its fruit, look at my life. What do you see? Do you see any sin? Have you seen that I'm... I've really been bad. There are certain people that way. That's kind of the pinnacle of self-righteousness. And I think he deals with it in verse 16. It says, On that day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. Well, let's get to the sin 
that's been done in secret. Nobody knows it. No, you, you didn't tell anybody. You didn't tell your spouse. You didn't show it to your kids. You didn't tell anybody. All of us have something we've done that we've probably never shared with anybody else. It's a secret. There's certain things we just don't share. And we don't share them because we know in public light, they're shameful. And we just don't want that to come out. God says, but I know. I know the secrets of men. I know your secrets. And God says, and I judge on that basis too. You see God's penetrating eyesight to judge a man by what's in his heart. What's in the heart usually shows up in our deeds. But there are certain things that are secrets. And we are good at masking them and covering them up. God says, well, I judge secrets too. So how do we escape? How do we get out from under the judgment of God? That should be the conclusion, I think, of this section. God's eyes are penetrating. Who can escape the all-seeing eye of God who knows even the secrets of men? You know, if there were no judgment, there'd be nothing to be saved from. We're living in a world that doesn't want to call sin, sin, and wants to ignore the whole subject of judgment. We've seen here the, the whole subject of the, there's a righteous judgment of God. God has created us, He's designed us, and He will right, it is right for Him to judge us based on how we have responded to His sovereign grace and mercy. And we all fall short of the grace of God. We all fall short of doing everything he's asked us to do. We've all sh- fallen short of just simple honor. We've all fallen short of just simply listening to and obeying his words. How do we escape? The only hope of escape is that God would deposit within us a righteousness that's not our own. God's Make me righteous. God, save me from my unrighteousness. Even the unrighteous stuff no one else knows about but you. I need salvation from that. I need to be washed until I'm clean. I need to be washed until I'm pure. Only Christ. Jonathan read it to you on the wall. 2 Corinthians 5. God can make us a new creation. God can exchange our sin and give it to Christ and in exchange give us his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin, meaning Christ, became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's our only hope of escape. We're all under the judgment of God. So as you read this, you self-righteous churchgoers and I put myself in that category because it's so easy for us to fall there and say well I'm better than that but that betterness that I want to claim and you want to claim that does not save us that does not give us escape our only escape is through Christ oh. so my conclusion what does is, what is Romans 2, 1 through 16 do? Why did God put it in the Bible? 
I think this is my suggestion. One of the things, one of the reasons I think Romans 2, 1 through 16 is in the Bible is to drive us to utter despair. Because God does not let us weasel out. There's no escape out from under the judgment of God. And that should drive you to utter despair, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I have no hope except in Christ. That's my only hope. I'm not going to get to judgment day and say, uh, have you considered this and, and, and these things I did and these things and how they compare to those things? And it's not going to work that way. God's going to say, yeah, I saw it all. I saw the, the deeds. I saw where it ended up. And I see you're unrighteous. And there's no escape if you're basing your life on that. Let us, number one, don't suppress the truth. That the judgment of God rightly falls. The judgment of God rightly falls. And it falls according to His standard. His truth, not ours. We must remember that. Live in light of that. Number two, we need to maintain the gospel. What's the gospel? The gospel is the good news that God has provided a righteousness, not our own. That He's willing to give us Give to those who trust Christ. If you trust Christ as your Lord, if He's your only refuge, if He's your only strength, if He's your only God, I'm going back to Psalm 62, if He's your life, if He's your righteousness, only, 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 that's the gospel, then you'll be okay. You'll be okay. We must maintain the gospel. We are good only in Christ, Psalm 16, God, oh God, you are my only good. And then number three, maintain loving others, even though they are enemies. You know, I've, I've, I'm beginning to realize one of the reasons I struggle with loving my enemies. I don't know, do y'all have any enemies? Preachers get enemies. If you stand up in front of people... There's going to be, there's somebody out here that hates me right now, you know? And now we live in this age where you can tweet it in, you know? And I've struggled with loving my enemies. And this passage has helped me realize one of the reasons I struggle with loving my enemies is because I put my, move myself over into that category saying, I'm better than that. I wouldn't have acted that way. I wouldn't have felt like that. And then I have to see, you hypocrite. I do that too. And when we really abandon our self-righteousness, it begins to enable us to love people who are not like us. It begins to enable us to love people who are even mad at us and attack us. Because my righteousness is not based on me being better. My righteousness is based on Christ alone. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the sheer 
beauty that while we were enemies, while we were not your friends, while we were sinners, you died for us. Hallelujah. Father, help us to love like that. To love our enemies. Help us to see there's no hope that we're going to be able to do that without truly understanding that our righteousness is in God alone. Father, forgive us for our hypocritical, self-righteous ways. We have all fallen short of your glory. Draw us back to the righteousness that is found in Christ and him alone. We need him. Father, for those in this room who've ignored judgment all their life, uh, they've heard this morning that that's not going to make it go away. We all, it's appointed that every man wants to die, and after that, the judgment. The judgment awaits. Father, may we enter that judgment with hope in Christ alone. May no one leave this place today and, and, and be in dread of God. But may they rather find the hope of God, hope in God, by receiving Christ as their Lord and Savior. Father, we thank you for each child, for each friend, for each soul here. And we ask that you would draw those souls to yourself, that they may escape the judgment of God. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.